Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. We are one day out from the 2018 NBA draft, and I certainly have some feelings about how the draft went, but I will try to be as objective as possible. And to help me on that front, I've brought back our resident draft expert, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you? I'm great. It's fun draft. Some very interesting picks that went down, and I'm pretty sure it's time to completely overreact to these guys who have never set foot on an NBA floor. And let's start with that overreaction by talking about the number one overall pick, DeAndre Ayton. The Suns have been telegraphing that they were going to select Ayton for a while, and the move makes a lot of sense for a variety of reasons. Ayton was a star just down the road at the University of Arizona. He's a center for a team that has really needed a center. He's a once-in-a-generation athlete, and ultimately he was one of the two best players in what I thought was a two-player draft. So good pick by the Suns to start the draft off. I agree. I mean, I, I've been pushing for Doncic as the best player in this draft and that he should be the number one pick, but and this is no surprise, and by no means is Aiden a bad player. He's a great scorer, um, freak athlete, has all the tools to be a good defender. Um, let's just hope that he actually develops into one. Up next, the Sacramento Kings with the second overall pick. As I just mentioned, this was a draft that, at least in my mind and in the minds of many analysts, had a pretty clear top two. So, of course, the Kings selected someone who was not one of those two players in Marvin Bagley. Bagley... I had as the fourth best prospect in this draft. I think he will be a very solid NBA player. I think there's a good chance that he makes an all-star team or two down the line. But I just don't understand why the Kings went with yet another athletic rebounding big man instead of going with the basketball prodigy Luka Doncic. I feel your pain on this one. Um, I didn't really get it. I don't get the fit. Um, I'm not that high on Bagley. I think he's kind of limited but just based on his pure athleticism and how hard he works he's probably going to end up being a 20 and 10 guy i'm just concerned that he's going to be one of these good stats bad team guys and really won't develop much more um this big silver lining though is that he was one of the only prospects to actually show interest in going to sacramento and and he works his butt off and wants to be the best. So, you know, who knows? He he could develop into a really, really nice player. It's also more than a little concerning that after the draft, Vladi Divac basically said that he thought Marvin Bagley could play the three, the four, or the five, when he's probably a five at the next level, maybe a four if he can develop his jump shot. So that was certainly concerning as we're the reasons why Vladi didn't want to go with the next pick on the board, namely that he thought that it would take the ball out of De'Aaron Fox's hands too much. So let's move on to the third pick. The Atlanta Hawks selected Luka Doncic. I was really happy for Hawks fans for about 15 seconds (laughs) until the news broke that they would be trading the pick to Dallas at number five. This was weird for the Hawks, um, and they they just need great players. And Luca, in in my opinion, is that cornerstone that you look for is high in the draft. I thought it was an incredible move by the Mavericks to trade up for it and just give away a uh, protected future first. Um, I I just didn't get it from Atlanta. I and mean, the only 
explanation I can think of it is that their uh, GM, Travis uh, Schlenk, was in Golden State for a long time and helped build that Warriors team by drafting Curry, Thompson, and Draymond Green. And it kind of seems like they tried to take that route um, in this draft too, but it almost seems like it's just going to be one of these bad sequels that go straight to DVD. The Memphis Grizzlies at number four selected Jaron Jackson Jr. He did not give his personal information to the Grizzlies for a long time, but apparently did so in the hours leading up to the draft, and they went with him at number four, presumably because they liked him as a prospect, also presumably because they couldn't find a trade partner willing to take on Chandler Parsons' contract. It'll be interesting to see how he fits next to Gasol. Um, if, If they do play them both together, it'll be a really, really good rim-protecting and defensive team. Um, I like Jackson a lot. He's, I, I think he could end up being the best all-around big man in this draft, great defender, can shoot from outside, um, needs to put on some strength, but I, I, I like the pick going forward for the Grizzlies. We already mentioned this in passing, but the Dallas Mavericks took Trey Young with the fifth overall pick as part of the trade with the Atlanta Hawks. They also sent a pick that is protected one to five for the next five years. I'm willing to bet that that pick will convey next year, given that Dallas had an unprecedentedly unlucky record in close games this year. And I think the odds of them being somewhere in the late lottery next year are pretty high. I I completely agree. I, I, I don't think that they're, and they want to make the playoffs. They've Carlisle and Cuban have said that. Um, and I really like, their draft and ha- and I fully expect them to go after um, a big name, big man in free agency here. Maybe the return of DeAndre Jordan, Oof. or or maxing out their uh, in-state rivals with Capella. Next up, the Orlando Magic at number six overall. They went with Mo Bamba, which is interesting in the sense that I thought he was probably the best player left on the board, but. Also, not exactly a fit for an Orlando team that has a couple of overpaid players that really can't play any position other than center, which is presumably what Bamba will play at the next level. It's it's a typical John Hammond pick, guy with a massive wingspan, good athlete, um, projects as a versatile player, but I mean, he's only shown that he can shoot in, in empty gyms, um, and they just... They have a team that I think they're trying to build a team of purely centers. Um, it's a weird fit, but I guess when you have that kind of dumpster fire of a roster, you just have to take who you think is the best player available. Up next, the Chicago Bulls at seventh overall. They went with Wendell Carter Jr., who I think projects as a really solid fit alongside Larry Markinen. There are certainly defensive questions about that front court, but I feel like Carter can cover for a lot of Lowry's weaknesses. I like them as a pairing. Uh, Carter does a lot of, or mostly everything really well, nothing exceptional, but he's he can shoot from outside, he can play defense, he's a good athlete, good rebounder, and it'll allow Markinen to kind of drift more more towards the perimeter. I, th- I think it'll be a really nice pairing and makes a ton of sense. Up next, the Cleveland Cavaliers at number eight overall. They did not end up trading the pick on draft night, and selected Colin Sexton instead. We will see if they end up deciding to move on from Sexton in the weeks to come as we figure out what LeBron does in free agency. But if LeBron does end up leaving Cleveland 
I think that Sexton will at least be an exciting player, even if he might have been a bit of a region number eight. He's a ton of fun, uh, great athlete, competitor, and this Cavs team needed point guard help and really just needed someone who loved basketball and wanted to play because as in the playoffs, it really seemed like no one wanted to be out there and he'll be able to provide that energy and uh, competitiveness that they were really lacking this year. Next, the New York Knicks went with Kevin Knox with the ninth pick. I think this was a good selection for them. Knox has a very high ceiling as a prospect, also has a very low floor. But for a Knicks team that really needs another star alongside Kristaps Porzingis, I think Knox was a solid choice. Don't love it. Don't hate it. Um, I have concerns about his work rate and uh, just kind of work intensity and desire to improve. Um, he, he has all the potential to do it, but he just often seems disengaged. Hopefully that's just a um, an aspect of being in that Kentucky system, which kind of seems to have to hide what some of these guys do really well, like we saw in Booker, Murray, and Towns. But um, they needed wing help, and uh, it makes sense. The Philadelphia 76ers selected Mikhail Bridges with the 10th overall pick. Mikhail's mother works with the Sixers. He seemed to be incredibly excited to play for them after playing his college basketball right up the road at Villanova. And the Sixers traded him to Phoenix for Zaire Smith and Miami's unprotected 2021 first round pick. I loved the pick at the time of Bridges. It made a ton of sense. The guy's a great 3 and D player, um, hometown kid, won two national championships at Villanova. Mom works for the team. And I just, I didn't get the trade at all. Um, I, I, I thought they downgraded by going to Smith. I think the question there is just how wide the Sixers thought the difference was between Bridges and Zaire Smith, who was reportedly the other player that they were targeting with that 10th overall pick. So if the Sixers internally had the two as rated relatively similarly, it makes sense to pick up an unprotected future first. But I also feel like Bridges at number 10 was a bit of a steal anyway, so trading down after you've managed to get him with the 10th pick was an interesting maneuver, to say the least. Up next, the Charlotte Hornets with what I thought was a far better trade. They selected Shea Gilgis-Alexander and immediately traded him to the Clippers for the 12th pick and two future second-round picks. I think it's kind of ridiculous that the Hornets managed to get two future second-rounders in return for moving down one slot in the draft, and I also think that they might have gotten a better player at number 12 anyway. It was a weird trade on the Clippers' part because I don't I don't really think the Hornets were going to take Gilgis Alexander anyways. Um, didn't make it a whole lot of sense. Um, but and they got the guy that I thought they should have taken and two future seconds. So I, I, I thought they did a really great job. I think Bridges uh, fills a need. They've struggled to find that versatile wing, and uh, he, he projects to fill that. So speaking of that 12th pick, the Clippers selected Miles Bridges and sent him back to Charlotte. And the Clippers also had the next pick on the board. And with the 13th overall pick, they selected Jerome Robinson. And while he had been reportedly shooting up draft boards in recent weeks, I think that taking Jerome Robinson at 13th overall might have been the single biggest reach of the first round. I just didn't really like what the Clippers did with both their picks here. Um, 
And I like Robinson. He had one of the best ACC seasons of all time. Very good offensive player. Seems like a bit of a reach, but I just don't like them taking the the two guards when they have Lou Williams, Teodosic, Rivers, and Beverly. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting that some of those guys are going to get waived or traded here, but it, it just was a weird series of picks for the Clippers. That's the main reason that I'm at a loss with this selection. The Clippers have had a clear need at small forward for quite a while now. They thought they filled that with Danilo Gallinari last offseason, which would have been a great move had Danilo been able to stay healthy. Given his previous health concerns and his health concerns last season, I just don't see why the Clippers would take Miles Bridges, who seems like he fits need for them and was maybe the best player on the board and instead opt to get more depth at by far their deepest position namely in the backcourt i I get taking one of those guys it's just taking both of them while giving up two future seconds it just didn't make any sense i i don't i don't get it and the number 14 overall pick also kind of speaks to those decisions not particularly making sense for the clippers the Denver Nuggets, with the 14th overall pick, finally pulled the trigger, took Michael Porter Jr. I was really upset about the prospect of the Kings taking Michael Porter at number two overall, but I selected him for the Bulls in our hashtag basketball mock draft at seventh overall. And there were rumblings that teams who had seen his medicals were unwilling to draft him in the early portion of the lottery, but for him to fall to 14th overall, especially when the Clippers, who have a desperate need at small forward, had two picks in a row at 12 and 13, is both really interesting to me and also really concerning. I think from Denver's perspective, they made an excellent choice by going with Porter because if he never works out, Denver's probably still going to be a playoff competitor for years to come. But if Porter does work out, they're going to have the best offense in the league for at least the next half a decade. It was really weird. I mean, his medicals must have been just atrocious. And, and he was once, you know, the number one recruit coming out of high school. He was national player of the year. He was thought of as the number one pick at times. Um, some mocks had him jumping up all the way to two, and then he falls to the last pick of the lottery. And this is an absolute steal for Denver. If And like you said, if he works out, you know, they're – a juggernaut going forward and if he doesn't you know oh well you you took a you took a shot on a guy with immense talent and he didn't work out um he fits nicely they've struggled to have that that wing similar to the clippers and that if he's i I almost think that they should hold him out for a year just to make sure that he stays healthy and kind of acclimates to the nba environment but it's a heck of a pick All right, so now that we've discussed all of the lottery selections, I wanted to quickly go through some of the draft night trades before we move into some of the highlights from the rest of the first round and the second round. And obviously the place to start is with the Trey Young-Luka Doncic trade. I thought that Luka was the best prospect in this class. I didn't think it was particularly close, honestly. He's been a successful professional player in the second best basketball league in the world since he was 17 years old. He won the league MVP and both the Euro League title and the ACP League title 
as a 19-year-old, won MVP of his league. I honestly don't think there was any more that he could have proven. And for him to go to Dallas as the heir apparent to Dirk Nowitzki is going to be so much fun. And the pick and roll combo between him and Dennis Smith Jr., if they can work it out such that either of those two guys can set screens. I just don't know how you guard that with a passing wizard in Luca and a nuclear athlete at point guard in Dennis Smith. It was an incredible move for Dallas. Um, I, I, I've loved Luca from day one. He's a good shooter, good scorer. Um, you know, not a great defender, but he's smart and works hard. So he's not going to be a liability or someone that can be targeted and taken advantage of. His passing vision is absurd. Um, and people say he's not a great athlete, but he's te- he's been going to P3 in California the last couple of years, and they compare his ability to stop and change or to uh, decelerate and change direction and change his speed, you know, up there with James Harden. So sure, he's not going to be dunking on everyone, but that doesn't mean he's not a good athlete. On the other side, namely the Atlanta side of this trade, I think that. Trey Young was a bit of a reach, honestly, at fifth overall. And I think that looks even worse in hindsight when comparing it to the fact that they had Luka Doncic and they basically gave up on him in return for what will probably be a late lottery first round pick at best and may end up out of the lottery if Dallas is as good as they could be next year and everybody on that team managed to stay healthy. The thing about Trey Young is that he could very well make this entire statement look ridiculous by being the offensive star that I genuinely think he could be, but I was really hoping that he would end up on a team that could support him on the offensive end so that he wouldn't be the alpha and the omega of his team's offense from day one, and that is very clearly not the case in Atlanta, so I'm concerned about what his rookie year is going to look like. When I criticize this trade from Atlanta's point of view, it's more more so putting praise on Doncic and not an indictment on Young. I have concerns about Young due to, due to his size and just lack of defensive ability, but he's a ton of fun to watch. He's an incredible shooter, can get to the rim and finish with ease, um, and, and he's a really good passer too. So if he's able to stay on the floor and get involved and develop like the Hawks clearly think he can, um, you know, he could turn into a really good player. I don't think he'll be good enough to have passed up on Doncic, but the Hawks clearly got enamored with the Steph Curry comparison and think that they can get the next Steph Curry out of him. The next major trade was the Clippers-Hornets trade that we already talked about in some depth, so let's just go through it briefly. I was shocked, honestly, that Charlotte managed to get not one, but two future second round picks in return for moving one slot down. And it's not just moving one slot down, it's moving one slot down right at the back end of the lottery. I mean, if it was, say, four for five and two future seconds, I would get it. But 11 for 12 and two future seconds is really confusing. It was just weird. I mean, we, we've seen that second round picks can clearly be assets and turn into good players or good trade chips. And I, it seemed like a Doc Rivers as GM move, not a Jerry West move. And it was surprising that the team that made the, the right move late in the lottery was the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, it was two very uncharacteristic 
moves on both parties. And I think if the Clippers would have just stayed at 12, they would have gotten either Shea, who they clearly wanted, or Miles, who would have been a great fit. Next up, another trade that we've already mentioned in passing, namely the trade of Mikhail Bridges for Zaire Smith and that unprotected future first-round pick from Miami. I think this trade could end up looking decent for both sides, especially since I think Zaire Smith will have a lot higher upside in Philadelphia than he would have had in Phoenix, because in Philadelphia, he can have Ben Simmons to throw him lobs, Joel Embiid to take away offensive attention, so he can basically just focus on running to the rim for lobs and playing solid defense. But I don't know. I feel like Mikhail Bridges was one of the more underrated prospects in the back half of the lottery. And so anytime you trade him, even with the assets they managed to pick up, I think it's at least a questionable move. I thought it was an incredible trade for Phoenix. Um, I I love Bridges. He was number four on my board based purely on talent. Uh, Great, great defender, long wingspan, very good three-point shooter. And he's just a winner. I'm excited to see their lineups with DeAndre Ayton, Mikel Bridges, Josh Jackson, Devin Booker, and uh, Elio Kobo out there. I think they're going to be a lot of fun. For the 76ers, I just I didn't get it. Um, Zyra Smith is a great athlete, good defender, but they're going to have absolutely zero floor spacing. And I wonder if it's more of they think he's a better trade chip for a guy like Kawhi Leonard or or, or it's easier to move off of to create more cap space just to try and sign free agents. The Philadelphia 76ers selected Kyrie Thomas with the 38th overall pick and then sent him to Detroit for two future second round picks. Normally, and we will get into that a little bit later in this very podcast, normally I don't think it's worth it to trade one second round pick for two second round picks, but this time I'm more than willing to make an exception because Kyrie Thomas was a first round talent in my mind, and he will be a great fit for a Pistons team that needs some perimeter defense to help shield Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond up front. So even though the Pistons lost a second round pick in this trade, I still think it was worth it for them. I, I thought the Pistons came out of this draft as huge winners, um, and we'll cover that a little later. But I was shocked that Thomas fell as far as he did. I thought his defensive versatility, his floor spacing, and his um, developing playmaking ability were just really enticing. And I was shocked that he fell to as or to uh, almost the mid-second round. Um, it was a, another weird trade from Philadelphia in my eyes. But well done, Detroit. And speaking of trading one second round pick for two second round picks, the selection right before Kyrie Thomas, the Sacramento Kings took Gary Trent out of Duke, and they traded to the Portland Trailblazers in return for two future second round picks. And I'm not all that high on Gary Trent Jr., so I think this was a solid move for the Kings that doesn't exactly make up for their number two selection but certainly helps things. It was another trade that just, it was fine. Um, I don't get it from Portland's point of view because you're adding another guard who can shoot really well but doesn't play any defense or do much of anything besides shoot. Um, 
putting him on, if he would have been on Sacramento, I, I was a little intrigued by that just because you'd be able to provide a little more floor spacing for him. But I, I by no means do I think it was a bad move for the Kings. And it just kind of a, a weird one that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me for Portland. And the Dallas Mavericks traded the number 54 overall pick in return for the number 56 overall pick and the number 60 overall pick. So Philadelphia selected Shake Milton here with 54. I think he's a great pick at 54. I'm a little surprised that no one earlier than that in the second round decided to go for it. And of the one pick for two pick trades that we saw in the second round, I think this one was probably the closest to even. Yeah, and Shake Milton was kind of all over the place um, on people's draft boards. Intriguing prospect. Uh, didn't have a good combine, but he has a pretty good season and, um, and, and should be a nice fit. And with the two second round picks that Dallas picked up in that trade, they went with Ray Spalding, which was an interesting choice, the junior power forward out of Louisville. And with the very last pick in the draft, they took Costas Atetokounmpo, Giannis's younger brother, in case any of you didn't guess, which would have been surprising, honestly. But Costas, I think, is an excellent flyer, no pun intended, <laughs> for Dallas to take. He has incredible upside and if he flames out of the league, I mean, you use the 60th overall pick on him, so you're not exactly giving up that much. Yeah, and my guess is that he, and he has potential almost purely based on his brother. And if he didn't share the same last name, I doubt he even gets drafted. I'm guessing he spends a lot of time in the G League, and you know they might late in the season if they're out of the playoffs or something, they'll bring him up and just give him some minutes. But I, I, I wouldn't expect anything that like we've gotten out of Giannis out of uh, Costas. All right, let's move from the trade section into some highlights from the back half of the first round. And the first one that I wanted to discuss was Lonnie Walker falling to the Spurs at 18th overall. And if anyone is going to be able to maximize Lonnie Walker's talent, it's going to be Greg Popovich and the Spurs. And I'm just really excited to see what they can do with him next season. Absolutely love it. Great fit, great talent. Um, I I was kind of expecting him to go late lottery, potentially to Denver. Um, but as Danny Green gets older and Kawhi Leonard appears to be shipping out of town, um, I, I think it's a great versatile athletic wing who can shoot from outside play defense finish at the rim um to kind of take over and help bring in the new era and it's just another example of the spurs getting lucky and having really good talents follow them later in the draft and speaking of really good teams getting lucky with talent falling to them lower in the draft let's go on to the biggest steal of the first round in my mind Robert Williams, who was projected to be either at the end of the lottery or just outside of it, fell to the Boston Celtics with the 27th overall pick. He fills a need for them as an athletic rim-running center, and the Celtics can more than cover up for his weaknesses. It's certainly concerning that Williams apparently slept through his introductory press conference this morning. <laughs> But barring that particular red flag, I think this is an absolute steal for the Celtics, and I'm honestly really upset about it. The Celtics are looking for a young, athletic, rim-running big, and they may have gotten the 
best one in the draft. Um, and he, he's pretty limited offensively. Um, he, he's a decent passer, but he can't shoot at all. And he shot in the 40% from the free throw line in college. It's concerning, and he probably won't be able to play late in games. But he could be a fun pick and roll option for them off the bench and he's uh, a pretty good rim protector if he learns to be disciplined more uh, I completely agree it's an absolute steal and he, I, I was projecting him to go about 10 to 15 picks higher and the second biggest steal of the first round in my mind came with the next pick the Golden State Warriors took Cincinnati's Jacob Evans with the 28th overall pick and Jacob Evans is almost the archetype of what the Warriors look for in a role player. And he will be the heir apparent to Andre Iguodala. And I just don't see any way that he's not an annoyingly successful Warriors role player for the next three or four championships. I knew you would be just furious that he fell all the way to the Warriors. And I'm sure you're pulling your hair out as teams kept passing on him. It's just, it, I'm winning organizations make winning picks and draft smart high IQ players and that's exactly what Evans is he plays really hard on defense he's a good three-point shooter he his basketball IQ is really high um, and he's not as good of an athlete as Iguodala but he's of a similar mold where he kind of does a little little bit of everything really well and doesn't play outside of himself Jacob Evans's two biggest weaknesses are athleticism and ability to be a primary creator on offense, and neither of those will matter in Golden State because of his incredibly high basketball IQ, his great shooting touch, his solid defense, and I think he will quickly become a fan favorite for the Warriors and will quickly upset everybody else in a Jordan Bell-esque way as teams realize what they passed on. And speaking of what they passed on, let's go to what, in my mind, was one of the biggest lowlights of the back half of the first round. I have caped for Jacob Evans to go to the Portland Trailblazers for quite a while now. And instead of filling their need at small forward slash fifth starter, they went with Anthony Simons, which was a sizable reach at 24 and made absolutely no sense given the talent on their roster. I was shocked that they, that they took Simons. I was fully convinced that they were taking uh, Evans or KWHD up or, you know, a versatile wing because they don't have any of those. And instead they took a guard who's a project. He's a good athlete and a good offensive player, but he doesn't play defense. He's not, he's, he has a very slender frame. He needs to put on a lot of muscle and mature a lot. And I just don't get why that appeared to be a need or the right pick for them. And it makes me wonder if they're looking to move off Lillard or McCollum here and essentially try and rebuild. So from the first round highlights and lowlights on to the second round, and I wanted to start with a team that we've already mentioned quite a few times in this podcast. The Dallas Mavericks took Jalen Brunson with the 33rd overall pick. And I think he will be a very effective backup point guard for a very long time. And getting that kind of player at 33rd overall is a really solid selection. 
especially since it seemed like the only real reason that teams were passing on him is because he's not a 19-year-old recent freshman. And you, you mentioned that we keep touching on Dallas, but that's just because they had a very good draft and they took a mature point guard who's going to be in the league for 10 years and everyone's going to forget about him, but he's always going to make winning plays and the right plays. He's going to be a nice backup um, and definitely a change of pace guard um, compared to Dennis Smith. But he, he's a smart player, good defender, good shooter, good playmaker. Um, it, it was just a really nice pick for them. Another highlight of the second round in my mind, Keita Bates-Diop fell all the way to 48th overall. He ended up being selected by the Minnesota Timberwolves, and it will probably take him about 20 minutes to become Tom Thibodeau's best friend. It was amazing that he fell this far, and people were thinking that, myself included, that the the Wolves were going to take him at 20, and instead they went with Josh Okogi, who's a really nice pick, um, and Bates Diop just kept falling and falling, and they got that versatile def- defender, and I I thought it was a perfect pick for them. All right, let's move on now to some of the incredibly early slash way, way, way too early draft winners. And the biggest winner of the night for me, which seems to be a sentiment that you shared with me, the Dallas Mavericks getting Luka Doncic having come into the draft with the fifth overall pick is something that I think fans in Dallas will be excitedly talking about for many, many years to come. When you're slotted at the fifth spot and end up getting the number one player without giving up too much, and how, how are you not a winner? They got a versatile wing slash point guard in Doncic. They got a mature backup point guard in Brunson. And what else could they have done to have a better draft? It was just really impressive and a great step in the right direction that I'm sure Carlisle is ecstatic about. The other team that was on both of our lists as a draft winner, the Phoenix Suns, They got their guy, DeAndre Ayton, with the first overall pick. There was certainly reason to think that they should have considered Luka Doncic, but ultimately Ayton is a very reasonable and solid selection there. They also managed to get a prospect that we both think was underrated coming into this draft in Mikhail Bridges. And overall, I think this was a very solid night for a Phoenix Suns team that is hoping to climb out of their rebuild sooner rather than later. It, I don't think this draft could have gone better for them. They got their uber-athletic center in Aiton. They got arguably the most versatile and mature player, uh, or wing player in Mikhail Bridges. They got a great offensive-minded point guard in Elia Kobo, who just put up uh, a 40-point game in the French League playoffs on the Defensive Player of the Year in that league. Um, when looking at their potential lineups with Bridges, Aiton, Booker, and Jackson, it's a lot of fun, and I think they're headed in the right direction. So a team that I had on my winners list from the draft, the Charlotte Hornets, I thought that them getting Miles Bridges and two future second-round picks was steal, especially since I thought that Miles Bridges was a better prospect than Shea Gilgis-Alexander anyway. Not that I'm out on Shea, but just I thought Miles Bridges was a better prospect. They also managed to get Hamadou Diallo with the 45th overall pick that they got from the pre-draft day trade to ship out Dwight Howard. 
And Hamadou Diallo would have been a late first round pick if he'd stayed in the draft last year. So getting him at number 45 overall, I think is a success for Charlotte. Also a team that really needs a star pretty badly. And even though the chances of him hitting his ceiling, I think, are very, very low, Hamadou Diallo, I think, has a better chance of being a star than anyone in the second half of the second round. I thought the Hornets had a pretty good draft. I liked it, didn't love it. Uh, Bridges, I, I'm skeptical on him. Um, I'm just not convinced that he can turn into that, you know, kind of star that the Hornets may think he will be, especially if they ship out Kemba and he's kind of forced into that leader role too quickly. Um, but they, they, they had a really nice second round. Devontae Graham's a good mature point guard um, who just wants to win and be better than everyone else. And Diallo's a freak athlete who, is, who when he's engaged, is a really good defender. Um, but just he can't shoot really or do much else on offense besides um, cut and finish at the rim. Up next, one of your winners. We've talked about them briefly, but let's do it some more. The Detroit Pistons. So after having a disastrous trade deadline, I thought by taking on that Blake Griffin contract and giving up a first-round pick and getting rid of Tobias Harris and some other really nice pieces, um, they ended up getting two, or at least one really good player in Kyrie Thomas, who I thought was a lottery talent, or late lottery mid-first talent. Um, He's a good shooter, good defender. We covered him a little bit earlier, but getting him I thought was a great move. And then they were able to pick up Bruce Brown too, who at the start of the year was considered a first round talent, but was had a bunch of injuries this last year and was kind of inconsistent to start, which led him to fall quite a bit in the draft. If he's able to stay healthy, he's a good defender. He's a smart player. And if he can develop um, any consistency in his outside shot, will be a really nice piece for them. So I wanted to touch briefly on the Denver Nuggets. I didn't think they were one of the big winners of the draft, but they did manage to get Michael Porter Jr. with the 14th pick. They also got Jared Vanderbilt after a trade with the Orlando Magic, and I think he has pretty solid upside as well. And if he can develop any semblance of a jump shot, could be a really useful player for them. That being said, I think there were other bigger winners in this draft who we'll get to momentarily. And unfortunately, I think the Boston Celtics are one of the winners of this draft. So I, I, I agree with Denver. And if, if Porter hits, they're, they'll end up being the biggest winner. And Vanderbilt is able to guard anyone on the floor, which is something they don't have on their roster. And Celtics got, you know the type of player that they wanted. Um, he'll fit nicely. He'll be, you know, a younger, more energetic Aaron Baines. Um, and if it'll, it'll be really interesting to see what Brad Stevens can do with him. He's already on record saying that he doesn't view him as a one-dimensional player and um, has some ideas of how they can utilize him. So it should be interesting and fun to see how they develop him. And in a similar vein to the Celtics, we've already covered this in depth, but... The Golden State Warriors getting Jacob Evans at 28th overall was one of the best picks in the first round. Yeah, and we covered it earlier. He's smart player, great defender. Just another example of what winning organizations do. And another big winner from draft night, the Minnesota Timberwolves. So Minnesota just really sucked at shooting from outside and playing any sort of defense this year. Um, 
I, I really liked the pick of Okogi at 20. I, I would have rather have seen them take Kyrie Thomas, but Okogi is that high-energy defender um, who's shown some flashes of being able to shoot from outside but needs to become much more consistent. And then they were able to get Kata Bates-Diop in, at, with the 48th pick. And the fact that he fell that far when my, a lot of people thought he was going to go to them at 20 is incredible. So they are able to fill that and provide some wing depth and versatility. You know, it just is going to be interesting to see if Tom Thibodeau is willing to play anyone that hasn't been in the league for seven years. All right, moving on from the way too early draft day winners to the way too early draft day losers. And there were two teams on both of our lists, and I want to go with the team that I thought was by far the biggest loser on draft night and made me feel at least a little bit better about the choices that the Sacramento Kings made. Atlanta trading away Luka Doncic for Trey Young was interesting. Atlanta reaching for Kevin Herter at 19th overall was not a bad choice. I don't think it was that much of a reach, but I think it was still a little bit of a reach. Atlanta taking Omari Spellman with the 30th overall pick was just rough, especially in light of the other picks that they made in this draft. I really think Travis Schlenk is trying to recreate what he helped build in Golden State in Atlanta and doing it all in one draft. Um, And if, if these guys hit, they could, they could have, you know, the next incarnation of the Splash Brothers and Young and Herter. And Herter's a really good shooter. He's not a great, he's not a very good defender, but he works really hard. And, um, you know, the effort's there. Young, not so much. But both those guys are really good passers, really good shooters. It's just another example of, you know, if, if these guys hit, they're going to be really good. And we're all going to look back on it like, wow, what a move. But there's a very good chance that neither of them develop into uh, much more than short-term rotation guys. And the Spellman pick, just I didn't get that at all. I think they view him as a Draymond Green type, which he isn't. Um, and he's really struggled to stay in shape. And he still has a long way to go to get his body NBA ready. Another team that selected a player who could make this look bad in hindsight if he manages to hit his ceiling, the Trailblazers taking Anthony Simons at 24th overall just didn't make any sense to me and Simons does have that kind of really high upside where it'll look great if he succeeds but I couldn't think of a weirder situation for him to have ended up in than for a Portland team that desperately needs help in basically every area except for the area in which Simons could potentially contribute even if he does hit his ceiling granted Portland was the third seed in the west last year they're obviously a solid team but I thought that they had some pretty significant holes, especially on the wing that Simons does not address in any way, shape, or form. There were so many wings that could have filled that need and helped make an impact right away for the Trailblazers. I just they have two score first offensive minded guards who aren't great at defense, and they came away from this draft with two score first offensive minded guards who don't play defense. Uh Simons, I mean if he does hit his ceiling he's he could be a really really good player it's just he's so far away from that ceiling both mentally physically uh he just has a long way to go and i don't think that that's going to be the right environment of a team that wants to win right now for him to develop in circling back to atlanta there was one trade that we didn't mention on the atlanta front 
they did manage to pick up two future second round picks from the Hornets in return for Devontae Graham. It's a decent pick for the Hornets. I mean, I think that was probably their worst move on draft night. But then again, I had them as one of the winners of draft night. So I suppose it wasn't all that bad. Yeah, and it's fine. I mean, when you're moving players around in the second round, a lot of it is just taking chances on guys. Um, so I, it'll be interesting to see if it works out, but not not that earth-shattering. So Portland and Atlanta were our two consensus losers on draft night. So the two that we disagreed on, I'm going to go with mine first because I think we might be able to have a bit of a longer conversation about your third draft night loser. I thought the Clippers really did a poor job after managing to do such a great job at the trade deadline with picking up that first round pick in return for sending Blake Griffin to the Pistons, as well as getting Tobias Harris in that trade. The Clippers could have made that trade look even better had they not made two honestly really questionable choices with the 12th, soon to be 11th pick and the 13th pick. I wasn't a big fan of the Clippers draft. It just, I was fine with them taking one of those guys but not both. It it didn't make sense. Um, but I, I really do like Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I think he's a really good defender. He's a big point guard, and he works his butt off. He was a rare Kentucky four-star recruit who came off the bench and took over that team and made it his. Just, they, they have so many guards and no wings yet again for, you know, the, the last decade they haven't had a wing. So I, I, I completely understand why you put them as a loser, but I, I, I still like the guys enough as individual talents that I, I don't think it was the worst thing in the world. And closing out the draft losers section, you had the Philadelphia 76ers as one of the losers of the draft. I wasn't all that high on either of their draft night trades, but I think that there were quite a few teams that did a lot worse on draft night than the Sixers in terms of picking up a guy that they had pretty high on their board in Zaire Smith and getting an unprotected future first round pick out of it. I hated what they did. Um, and I'm not as high on Zaire Smith as other people are. I think he's an intriguing talent. I think he's a freak athlete and a great defender, but I just don't see his offensive game developing like others do. I, the biggest need for the 76ers was getting mature 3 and D type guys who can help them win now. And I thought both the guys that they traded away could do that in Bridges and Thomas. And they traded him away and ended up with a freak athlete who can't shoot at all in Zyre Smith. And then a big point guard in Landry Shamit, who's a very good shooter, but can't really do much else. And we'll get kind of, I, I think, picked apart on defense. I think their floor spacing is really going to struggle with Smith and uh, Ben Simmons out there at the same time. And it will be fun watching watching them throw lobs to each other, but I just don't see how this helps them win now unless they're putting together pieces that they think are more valuable in a trade for, say, Kawhi Leonard. I think in kind of a weird roundabout way that Markel Fultz's development during this offseason could really be a big indicator of how good Zaire Smith ends up being. Because if you have Fultz with a repaired shot in the lineup and 
Ben Simmons as a primary ball handler slash small forward alongside Fultz. I think if you run out a lineup of Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz, Dario Saric, Joel Embiid, and Zaire Smith, that Zaire Smith doesn't have to extend himself at all on the offensive end. He can just be a cutter and rim runner, which is the one offensive skill that he was able to display pretty often during his college career. And I think that if Zaire Smith ended up on another team, I might not be as sold on his ability to succeed. But I just think that even if his shot never develops, even if his offensive game never develops, he can be a solid defensive wing player who doesn't need to play outside of himself on the offensive end because all he really needs to do is run to the rim for dunks. I think if they're banking on Fultz's development and development of a shot, then I think they're in a lot of trouble. I Nothing that I saw from him this year is encouraging for in my eyes that he'll do. I hope he does. I, I hope that both these guys develop into really good players, but I haven't seen anything that suggests that. And he was, I, no one really knows if he was actually hurt or just a head case that messed with his shot. Um, I, I'm just really concerned that they're going to have three really athletic guards and Simmons, Fultz and Smith, and none of them can shoot and they'll be super easy to defend. And on that incredibly happy and optimistic <laughs> note, do you have anything else before we wrap up? I, I just want to be clear that these guys that I'm ripping on, it's nothing personal. I just, I, I hope they all prove me wrong. Um, you know, I, it's fun. These guys are exciting and it's a big moment in their career. And I hope they prove me to be an idiot. I hope everyone proves me to be an idiot except Robert Williams, <laughs> who I only hope busts because he plays for the Celtics. Literally no fair, other reason. Fair. <laughs> All right. Well, he is Tyler Metcalf. You surely have been checking out all his draft work on the hashtag basketball website. But if you haven't been, be sure to take a look out for that. And of course, listen to him on the previous draft podcasts that we've done. You can find him on Twitter at tmetcalf11. You can also find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can find my written work on the hashtag basketball website as well. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.